Thank you for listening in right now. Glad to have you here. My name is Nyla, and this is Greener Thoughts. I help you understand the environment today so you can experience a greener life. Let's connect online. You can reach Greener Thoughts by voice message. The anchor.fm link is in each episode's show notes. You can do so via the Anchor app or by email at greenerthoughtspodcast at gmail.com. So there aren't any announcements for this podcast episode, so I'm going to just dive into the first segment, which is headlines from the hemispheres. As you all know, it is a quick briefing on environmental news globally, so I have a few different headlines. The first is about this new technology that happens to do with clothes. So new textile could keep you cool in the heat, warm in the cold. And that news was from Environmental News Network on ENN.com. So there is a new discovering of this type of smart clothing. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard about smart clothing. I know that I really haven't. um, And so it adapts to the weather. So whether it's cool, um, maybe, uh, you know, during some part of the day, it keeps you warm. And if it's uh, cold outside a little bit or uh, anything like that, or maybe in the middle of the day, uh, the weather is kind of, uh, you know, groggy or weird, you will be uh, insulated and kept stable with this type of clothing. So researchers were reporting about this from the American Chemical Society, uh, the applied materials and interfaces, they were working on this. And so it's a sort of strong, comfortable fabric that they've been uh, working with that heats and cools the skin and doesn't really release any energy. But there have been some drawbacks. So um, textiles like these, they definitely can be bulky, heavy, um, and probably more expensive. So there's going to be some kinks um, to work out uh, regarding this type of clothing. You know, maybe in the future I'll do maybe an episode about it if new companies and and new developments start sprouting out about smart clothing. The second headline is about veterans and PTSD and horses. PTSD plummets for veterans who try horseback riding. You can find more about that news on treehugger.com. So there was about a classroom full of uh, veterans, so about 30 or so, um, approximately about 29 though, who were used in a study and they were suffering from PTSD. And so there was an introduction of a therapy type of program, uh, THR, or Therapeutic Horseback Riding. And this was happening uh, once a week for about six weeks. So the PTSD symptoms were measured after three weeks and then again after uh, six weeks at the end of the study and they were used, um, there was a using of a checklist to sort of determine the um, assessment of the the symptoms from the veterans. So there was a a PTSD checklist and it was the military version that was used at assessment and then other tests that were also used. And so uh, Rebecca Johnson she kind of led the study 
and she's a professor at the University of Missouri, Columbia, a college of veterinarian medicine. And so she sort of talked about the results. So, quote, results showed that participants in the program experienced a significant decrease in PTSD scores, almost 67% after just six weeks of THR, Johnson says. And then also, a quote, end quote, a quote, uh, after six weeks, participants experienced an uh, 87% drop in PTSD scores, end quote. So as far as the study, you can uh, check it out. It is published in the Military Medical Research uh, Journal. And so it's entitled Effects of Therapeutic Horseback Riding on Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder in Military Veterans. Then the last headline is about the controversial Keystone XL pipeline. So builder of controversial Keystone XL pipeline says it's moving forward. It's as far as NPR.org, but there are some updates to that. So uh, back when um, former President Barack Obama was in office, he actually blocked uh, construction on the pipeline in 2015, citing environmental concerns, but the company who was at the head um, of the project wanted to actually start construction along uh, the routes and they expected it to uh, be of service, the Keystone XL pipeline, uh, to um, service uh, those in uh, 2023, which is a few years from now. And so it's supposed to stretch from Alberta, Canada to Nebraska and have about 830,000 barrels of oil a day transported here to the U.S. Um, but critics really um, aren't for it and they say a lot of things, especially that it's not worth it environmentally and also with the jobs. There's not many jobs, um, permanent ones um, involved anyway, at least 50 um, but the thousands that um, are expected to be a part of the process, those are only temporary. And I was uh, researching a little bit of updates to uh, the uh, news piece. And so from a July piece, um, since this is a retroactive episode, uh, the dates are um, kind of in the, um, the near future and stuff. So this uh, being a retroactive episode... Um, there's been some updates about this news. So I learned a little bit about it on CNN.com. Um, and so a federal judge in May, he actually sided with environmental groups and required that a new oil and gas pipelines, any that are made, uh, have to undergo a lengthy permitting process and regulation process uh, just to build over bodies of water, uh, continuing the pipeline, and then a Democratic... Uh, Joe Biden has actually pledged to rescind the permit for the Keystone XL pipeline if he wins. Do you love Greener Thoughts? Supporting Greener Thoughts ensures more giveaways are available with even more exciting prizes, future Greener Thoughts merchandise, and surprises found only on Greener Thoughts. I greatly appreciate and love all of the listeners who have tuned in and who support Greener Thoughts by doing good for the planet. One of the many ways I would love your support is by clicking the second lower link in the description section of this episode. It's the direct support link for Greener Thoughts. 
So the source for this podcast episode's news mainly comes from NPR.org. And so there were a few different uh, reasons why I think this would be a great uh, topic to sort of start off on because I haven't talked in depth about composting and I felt the need to sort of do that. Uh, start off with some um, just, you know, early uh beginners like tips and know-how maybe get your foot wet as far as composting you know have you maybe itching to learn a little bit more um there are so many different resources out there about it and i know that there are uh, tons of like international listeners and i know that greener thoughts is international so um as far as some of the products a little bit later on i made sure that um some of them uh, you could find online and then you can also like make your own sort of composters um, and even the, the the buckets that you can have on your counter space, those you can find basically anywhere as long as it has a lid and you keep it uh, just in a small compact space. Um, these are sort of things that get you started when it comes to composting. Um, and I, I thought that this would be a great activity. This is something that you can do indoors, outdoors. Um, but when you're transferring, transferring your... Um, your food scraps um, from the indoors to outdoors like that's optimal because you don't want to keep your food uh, scraps in there for long periods of time um, and so you want to transition it to being an outdoor compost and you can have the bin itself or a standalone pile so let's start off with some compost uh, starters so some easy tips that you can uh, get on board with because this these are things that are going to help you um, navigate composting and you're going to remember them pretty easily because they're really really simple to do so the first thing is to select your food scraps so whether you have things like banana peels tea bags or coffee grounds these are the types of things that are compostable you know eggshells cleaned out of course uh, rice grains even human hair uh, vegetable scraps fruit scraps these are c- commonly compostable items There are tons of no-nos that are going to be not a part of your compost. Things like bones and meat and fish, oils, butters, dairy, um, anything that's cooked with those items like meat, dairy, oil, those are no-nos for your compost because uh, they, you know, have uh, pests associated with them, you know, bugs, maybe, you know, a raccoon could sneak up in your compost and you wouldn't have guessed, but it's because of the, those types of no-nos um, in the compost, first of all. Um, other things that you have to be aware of are that if something says it's compostable, um, you know, do some background on it. Is it really compostable? Because most often uh, those are used um, in industrial facilities where it's safe to uh, make those um, items composted at higher heated levels. And so they break down a bit faster than uh, if you're doing something like uh, home composting. So backyard composting, if something says it's, you know, um, compostable or maybe it's a bioplastic, I would steer clear of having it in a compost. Number two is that you uh, should be able to store your uh, scraps, your food scraps, until you're ready to transfer them outside. This is the point where you have a closed bucket. So something that's maybe metal um, is is advised because it's easily something that's cleaned. Um, plastic maybe as as long as it's durable you don't want something that can easily have air in and out of it so something like a a plastic number three or maybe number four container 
um, or uh, ceramic. Ceramic is fine as well. You know, it's it's durable. Um, it's I would say it's maybe on the expensive side, but if it will last you a lot longer, then that's totally what you want to go for. Um, you could also refrigerate your food scraps if you live in a, a highly humid area or you're worried about maybe ants or something getting into it because we know the ants sometimes just go in uh, to places rather clean or dirty looking for food. And if they're searching for a compost, it could uh, get into your compost. You could also freeze your uh, food scraps. So if you, uh, again, live in a place that's highly humid and you want to um, pack as much uh, food waste and store it away as possible, you know, I highly advise you to freeze it because you can always uh, defrost it and put it uh, outside uh, in your compost or, um, you know, use it for that, especially if you're worried about space in your refrigerator. So that's a great way uh, to uh, ward against insects and odors also. Uh, tip number three, uh, step number three, is to make a place for your compost. So make uh, your uh, new composting bits a uh, home somewhere. So whether it's a community compost where it's an area where maybe you're in an apartment space and there's a central location maybe near the apartment uh, property uh, where it's a, it's a huge huge space like a yard space but it has a, a open uh, compost area use that or if you're into community gardening and they have a composter uh, that's a great place to uh, put your compostables. If you're into the heap method, which is where you are uh, having your compost, uh, your leaves, dirt mixed together, but it's in the open space, um, that's fine as well. Make sure you cover it though, because you want to bury uh, your your composted um, edibles, uh, not edibles, but your, your bits. Um, into uh, the heap so that the, the heat accelerates the composting process there and so it, it um, also um, makes sure the bugs and, and insects and other types of animals aren't getting to the food directly. Um, there's also the Bakashi method um, and so Bakashi is a really great system where it's a bin and it's drained at the bottom and there's Bakashi brand which has three essential microbes in it that help break down the compost. And I used to have one back in university. I miss it and I, I should have uh, did extra steps with it, but I mean, it was a great time to learn firsthand a little bit about composting indoors. Um, and that's sort of how I got started uh, with composting. And I'll talk a little bit about that later. And also um, another place where you could put your compost is just making um, a, a sort of composter which is um, you know with a spinning wheel or maybe it's like a tumbler a tom compost tumbler um, or one that you have to um, just spin around you can make one that's just standing alone that's fine as well but you're making it with like wood and metal parts that's fine as well all these are different types of uh, composters uh, step number four, thing number four to do is to make the compost mix. So this is the fun part. This is where you get to uh, use your greens, so your food scraps, your veggie and uh, fruit peels, um, your coffee grounds, things that are in your yard, your grass clippings. Uh, these will add tons of nitrogen 
to your uh, pile and start the microorganisms, uh, which are the true heroes, uh, they'll start to decompose rapidly, you know, and you're having flowers, eggshells, rinsed out, of course, coffee grounds. Coffee grounds are amazing. They smell so good and they add a bit to uh, your compost. Your browns, though, are carbon. These are the eggshell cartons and newspapers and dried leaves and anything brown, anything uh, that will uh, decay and become brown. So like uh, with the dried leaves, they'll become a bit darker and richer and you add a little bit of some water to them, some moisture and get them going. And they will definitely uh, add some weight to your pile. Some newspaper is fine as long as it's maybe biodegradable inks, uh, water soluble. Um, you know, dried grass, sawdust, sticks even, but I would uh, ward against sticks because they can can get kind of heavy and sort of muck up your um, compost. But as long as they're somewhat small, um, it shouldn't be too bad. As you have, as long as you have something uh, stirring your compost or where you can easily uh, mix it, that's all that matters as well. Um, you want to keep a good layer to uh, your compost. So keep the greens, one layer, browns, and then alternate those, and then uh, make sure uh, that you keep it somewhat moist. There's nothing worse than a sopping wet a compost that doesn't have enough air, and it's, it stinks. Those are not things that you want for your compost. So layering, keeping it aerated, and keeping it uh, a little bit hydrated with some water, uh, but not too damp. And then last but not least is step number five. Tip number five is to be patient and let the air flow. So you should be able to stir, to stir it uh, weekly. So um, you can do so every time that you um, are adding something new to it. Um, or if your bucket on the inside gets a little bit full, uh, just head on over to your compost. And if it you know smells bad or something's not decomposing right, uh, just make sure it's not, again, too wet. You should also be able to readjust the ratios of the greens and the browns, and then that can also solve the problem. Uh, make sure that there aren't any bugs, um, you know, just insects, maybe frogs, spiders, etc., um, in the compost, and it is getting that airflow because that is uh, essential for getting a nice, rich, uh, deep brown compost. See, that wasn't too bad. There were some um, really great tips involved in composting. It's really super simple once you get started. Um, if you ever have any issues, try to maybe lay off some uh, things like maybe less water, um, turning it more, adding more carbon, more nitrogen items. That's always uh, best. Um, I, I love composting because um, I wanted to divert my food waste and I'll learn how to make as as less waste as possible. I talk about waste uh, quite a bit as far as uh, it being a passion of mine and one of my major uh, issues to solve as far as environmental issues. And I've been doing it so long that it's almost second nature. Like I don't just chuck, uh, you know, things in the um, in the garbage and trash. And, you know, even with bones, I just toss them like in the forest, you know, so they just break down as well because I don't want any type of food remnants rem rem um, um, as part of my waste. Um, you know, even just 
things that, um, even like packaging, things like um, that, I try to make sure that I'm able to uh, either recycle part of it, um, make use of it somehow, like things like uh, pizza boxes. Unless it's uh, soiled, unfortunately it has to go in the garbage, um, but making sure that I can recycle the other half, I like things like that. Um, composting, I've been doing it since 2014, but I started a little bit earlier than that. Uh, and that's when I had uh, the Bakashi bin. Now that I urged and begged for as far as a Christmas present, I think, and I, yeah, I got it for a Christmas present, pretty sure. Uh, and I loved that bucket. And I was piling things onto it um, and in it and um, in it, but not on it. And it was um, it was a process as far as like getting used to um, how it would break down, you know, the the, the process, the uh, anaerobic um, process. And it was really um, something that didn't need a lot of air. So it was slowly digesting in the brand. I wish it came with more brand, uh, which is the, the type of um, grain that's like Bakashi uh, microorganisms in there that eat up the, the food's remnants and scraps there. And uh, I wish that I would have kept it a little bit longer, but it's because of my uh, awful, horrible uh, roommates that I had at the time. They didn't like the compost was there and they felt like it was smelly and it, all this other stuff. It was a horrible um, experience dealing with that end of it, but I don't regret um, having the Bakashi uh, composting system. I do wish that uh, if I would start it, start it again, I could do it in a, uh, a better environment and I would um, have practiced a bit more because I had it for probably... Um, less than a year um, because, you know, it was getting a bit um, hard to handle and the roommates were just being horrible you know, because they would complain about so much stuff. But they just it was just a horrible time uh, dealing with that, but things got a little bit better. Um, I do know that I've learned so much about composting, like knowing how to keep the ratios in check um, and treating it almost like um, a pet project, treating it like uh, it's so near and dear to you because you don't want to mess up. Like composting can be so fragile. Um, and, you know, it can be acidic if you, you know, do it wrong and you don't want too many greens uh, on one end of it and then there's not enough browns and too moist and what if, it, what if it rains and all that type of stuff. And then over time... It gets heavier and heavier because it's doing its job and, and you should, you know, give yourself a pat on the back because it's breaking down how you want it to and it's smelling rich. It's smelling like smelling like soil. It's smelling like earth. And that's what you want. That's the 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 prize, that's the reward of it all. And your food scraps are being um turned into usable uh dirt, usable soil. So I think anyone who wants to start out composting um, should do so on a small level. You know, get yourself a bucket that's probably less than $20, maybe from a thrift store, um, and then filling your food scraps with it, and then buying maybe a composter that's probably less than $100, if that. If you live in an apartment, um, the Bakashi method is fine. Um, but maybe you could buy multiples of the bins and then um, 
as they uh, cultivate, uh, then you can move them around or you could um, try to make a DIY composter, which isn't bad. Um, but if you're really into it, I suggest, you know, you start, you know, there's tons of YouTube videos about making, um, DIY composters, do-it-yourself composters. Um, and composting can really be inexpensive, um, because the heaping method, because of, uh, community composting, because of the different prices of composters nowadays, most are, but most are less than a hundred dollars, give or take, or two hundred dollars, and then some range. Like I know some that are like almost, you know, seven hundred, eight hundred dollars. Um, but those are mainly metal, and those are from tried and true brands. Um, and there's also, you know, online resources for for people who are composting for the first time. You know, there are specific temperatures that, that you sort of want to look for for healthy composting. You can add earthworms in there, other types of critters, um, and you should be able to um, just figure out what works um, because over time it does get easier. And then next thing you know, you're planting your uh, fruits and vegetables in them or different flowers and you are seeing the fruits of your labor, literally. And so composting... Um, it's sort of taken on a mind of its own in, in uh, years, you know, since it's been popping up as a, sort of a green activity to do. And it really is um, because you're reducing waste, food waste, all types of things. Uh, you can put tons of different things in composting. You can put lint, you can put nail clippings, you can put moss, you can put um, different sort of papers in there as long as they don't have any um, non-soluble uh, uh, inks in them. There's so many things. Um, you can put um, nest nestlings or nestings from uh, different animals like rabbits and such, uh, newspapers cut up, just so many things. Sawdust I talked about, um, just a lot of things. In fact, I have a PDF in the Mother Earth Minutes um, that uh, really goes in deep about all the different uh, things that you can compost. So I have some of those resources there, and so we'll get to them uh, in the Mother Earth Minutes. The Mother Earth Minutes is where we review in the next few minutes for active things we can all do to combat the issue in the episode and protect Mother Earth. So the issue around the episode was about how to maybe have you start composting. I know that can be difficult seeming for some, they may be daunting or where do I start? But we talked about some remedies, some quick solutions, tips and steps to get you started. And so the message is just a quick fact around composting that was from environment911.org. So composting really does a lot. It absorbs and treats your volatile and semi-volatile organic compounds that you have around you. And it really does a good job of stopping those heavy metals from entering waterways. And uh, it makes sure that plants uh, are having uh, not being uh, absorbed uh, with those uh, chemicals, those heavy metals. So composting does a lot. It takes care of the soil and is able to uh, provide nutrients uh, for you growing and gardening. Composting is amazing. Composting, uh, first thing uh, it should not be is it shouldn't be soggy. So I, I talked a little bit about it earlier, but compost should be nice and dense. 
um, not too crumbly um, unless it's dried like completely and there's not too much moisture there but it should be just moist only not soggy and dripping sopping wet uh, step number two is uh, and tip number two these are steps tips um, are that uh, the more green materials that you add to the pile the less water that you'll need so this is great so if you have a lot of uh, food scraps uh, eggshells coffee grounds uh, those type of greens um, then you'll need less and less water over time which is is great especially for those who uh, don't really uh, do a lot of uh, reading with newspapers or don't have those on hand or brown leaves, like don't live in an area where leaves are plentiful um, or maybe sawdust, things like that. And then green, um, you know, you add those as needed and you'll have less and less water. Um, and then add some browns and then repeat. And number three is that worms are amazing. These are so useful to your compost, but they are not necessary. So when it comes to uh, worms, you can or, or don't have to have them. It's totally up to you. But regardless, they do love um, coffee grounds. They're, they're amazing when it comes to that. They break down the soil um, sometimes um, at a, a different rate than just on its own. But depending, I mean, if you want to use worms, it's totally fine. If you can find them, uh, they love the compost regardless. But if you cannot find them, it's not the end of the world. It's totally fine. Uh, step number four, tip number four, is that composting bacteria works best under the environment where it's a bit uh, neutral, under neutral to acidic conditions. So if your pH is about 5.5 to about 8, you're in a good range. And then number five is that I suggest a few uh, composters. Um, I use um, the Lifetime brand. I talked about that um, some time back, and I love it. It was about 150 uh, when I bought it, so that's been uh, X amount of years. But if you're into really uh, something small, you can of course uh, do it yourself and have like a a steak, a plot, you know, maybe not even a whole acre um, of land, probably like a quarter of an acre or less than that. Uh, just to get you started and you could have maybe a mantis a mantis their pr prices range so they have $200 um, Composters $300 ones and then they have a mega one which is really big. It's like $649. These are US uh, prices um, and then you have the Bakashi brand Bakashi uh, uh, Living.com that's where you can get it mantis mantis.com is where you can get its products but on BakashiLiving.com, they have uh, their different Bakashi style um, kits. And so they range from like $58, so pretty accessible, to about $101. And they have it where it's single bucket or two bucket, and it's Bakashi brand. And they have mesh bags, lids, everything you sort of need. And uh, I will include a PDF or of the compostables there are common and not so common uh, types of things from Mantis that you can include in your compost. The eco-fact of the day is that winter floodwaters in Venice, Italy peak at six feet above sea level, the second highest level in recorded history. 
Two people die and St. Mark's Basilica suffers irreparable damage. That fact was sourced from the Sierra Club, Sierra Magazine, in the March-April 2020 issue. We have reached the time in Greener Thoughts where we're going to talk about an amazing company. This is the Eco Company Spotlight where we talk about companies and review them that are doing amazing things for the environment and they are environmentally related with the products or services that they have. If you have one that you'd love for me to go ahead and review, talk about, let me know. I always do so free of charge. I've been doing so since uh, February 2019. So I've been doing so for a while now, talking about the amazing products and services uh, from different companies, eco companies. Now, one of the latest ones that I love and have so many good things to say about is called Soli. So Soldly is an amazing company. You know, they were noticing a wave of children with no access to clean, fresh fruits. And so Soldly was founded based upon that. And so instead of cheap and sugary and unhealthy versions of food from schools and from home, Soldly found a place to make fruits come together without the need of things like preservatives or added sugar, additives, or even chemicals. Soli was and has uh, had a positive uh, effect on millions of children around the world and they've uh, made jobs for thousands of uh, people, over a thousand people. And so Soli is based out of San Diego, San Diego California and uh, Soli's goal is to continue to rethink and create new food items that adhere to their promise, which is about clean food. And so what the what Soli does as far as a commitment to sustainability, it has a lot of things going for it. Uh, it has non-GMO uh, verified uh, products in it. So it's it has no um, it's, it's non-GMO project verified, I should say. It doesn't have any preservatives in their food and no added sugars, nothing's from concentrate, no sulfites, additives, chemicals, nothing. It has recyclable packaging, which I love. Um, If I haven't mentioned that in other brands, it's because I probably already talked about it or it's probably obvious, but uh, with the packaging with this, it's recyclable, which I love. I just cannot say, um, you know, so many, uh, you know, bad things about it. I love it. It has one to two ingredients max, which is unheard of, um, and their processes of making uh, their uh, foods is super simple, Uh, and they have USDA organic ingredients and all of their products. So when it comes to their product selection, they have an assortment of tons of different products. They have their spaghetti squash, which is a new product. They have their new uh, fruit and fire, uh, fruit jerky and dried fruit mix, and it's spiced with chili and salt. They have those in flavors of mango and chili and salt, and then pineapple and, and chili and salt, and also the pineapple rings and chili and salt as well. And then they have their products of their uh, one whole organic uh, mango. They have their half um, count um, organic pineapple. They have their half um, organic pineapple with coconut. They have their one whole organic banana, their one whole organic banana with pecans, and their one whole banana uh, with uh, cacao. 
And they also have their bagged versions of uh, dried banana, dried uh, pineapple rings, and also uh, organic uh, mango strips as well. So they have a lot of amazing uh, food options. As far as their ex- my experience um, of their products, Soli has some really great stuff. I love uh, all three of the products I tried from them. So their one whole um, organic mango they have, I you know ate that. I have the I've eaten their uh, half organic pineapple and then their half organic pineapple with coconut. Now I just must say. They are all delicious. Nothing awful about them. They are tangy, ripe. They are super soft. Their flavor is unmatched. Like I've never had fruit like that in packaging like that that tasted so good. It's amazing. Um, I can't get enough. You know, you get your fruit intake for the day. You know, your, your nutrition is on point. I give it five out of five green thumbs all the way up. Um, it's super accessible when it comes to its pricing. You know, they're like a few dollars um, each uh, little pack. So the packaging is is great. It's convenient. It's totally portable. It's truly grab and go. Um, it's great for lunches, great for, with kids, um, snacks for adults as well, just anyone. It's definitely uh, one uh, type of food where you'll, you know, grab one or two uh, packs of these because they're great. And, you know, I'm salivating just at the thought of them. I love eating Soli's fruits and they're amazing. They have delectable combinations and I love it. You know, the packaging is superb. You know, I was really excited about talking about that because, you know, as you all know, I love things when it comes to packaging and waste and recycling, you know, composting, things like that matter that that matter long after the product has been used. So uh, the packaging is super quaint, you know, really easy to peel and, you know, it'll have you licking the wrapper. It's that good. You know, you don't want anything to go to waste. It's amazing. Uh, The fruity tanginess of uh, Soli and their uh, fruit goods. So solely can be found a few different places, but mainly via their site because that's where all the good stuff is. The pictures are lively. If you go to solely.com, that's S-O-L-E-L-Y.com, and then you can go to find us. You can go uh, click that uh, space there at the top or bottom of the website. You will mainly find them now on like Amazon.com or Giants in stores there or even Whole Foods, places like that. So uh, they have a few different uh, uh, places where you can find them on their social media because they are active on there. Uh, their Facebook is Solely Fruit and also on Instagram, it's Solely Fruit as well. And then they're also on LinkedIn at uh, Solely and then on Twitter at Solely Fruit. Now to contact Soli, just go to the website Soli S O L E L Y dot com, and then go to the contact space at the top or bottom of the website to give them a call. You can give them a call at eight 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 seven Soli or eight 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 seven seven six five three five nine, or just direct message them on their website. Or for more information and samples, you can go ahead and contact Soli directly at info at solifruit dot com. Okay, we've ended the episode, so I just want to 
always, always thank you all. I love each and every one of you who always t- tends to listen, share the uh, episodes, who reviews Greener Thoughts. All of that matters. It's so important to the podcast. Um, I hope that you learn a few things about composting, getting started. It may not be as comprehensive, but it'll get you started with tons of uh, you know, beginner tips around composting, you know, getting started when it comes to building a compost, what to put in a compost, what not to put in a compost, um, additional resources. You can always do some searches on YouTube, other places, maybe some books, but definitely being interactive is the way to go when it comes to composting. It's not all about reading and just, you know, looking up things online, researching. It's about getting down and dirty, literally, with the compost. So I really hope that you all enjoyed this. I had fun doing it. I love composting. It's one of my favorite things. I could talk about it, you know, for a bit longer, but this is all uh, for the episode thus far. Uh, you know, composting can be definitely fun. You know, are you into inside composting at first and then outside? Or are you just straight for outside composting? Um, you know, when will you compost? You know, these are things to, uh, you know, ask yourself and maybe have it be a resolution or something you do uh, before, you know, year's end or something you do Um, You know, maybe for a summer project or for the spring or when you just have, you know, your first bit of food waste uh, that you want to go ahead and uh, not have it be in the garbage. You know, composting is a, is a, I'd say it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's not uh, easy at first, but uh, when you get started, it gets easier, definitely. So as always, please take care of yourselves have fun out there and please take care of the planet. You all be well. Bye.